let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Slim Nation. My guest today is Dr. Bruce Copeland, supervisor in the Hampton School School System in Virginia. And Dr. Copeland, before we go any further, I, I always do this when I have guests, and you are a member of a lot of different social and professional organizations, but I always like to recognize when I have guests on that are a member of the, uh, the, the, the black fraternities and sororities, the, the Divine Nine, and you are a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, so I wanted to uh, make that known because I always mention you have had <laughs> Uh, Kenneth Wright on, of course, and, right. and other members of uh, those great organizations, and I always like to give them uh, a shout out for what they do in the community, so okay. I really appreciate you being oh, here. Yeah. So I just had to throw that out. I meant to do that in the beginning, but let's get back to uh, our subject at hand here. So with, you know, with us seeing all these different, uh, we had a recent school shooting um, where one of the persons was a, a student and one was underage, but they can't even mention the name. But I mean, what, what are we seeing here? It's been going on and it just keeps happening and, and we can't seem to get a grip on how we can uh, identify. Well, after these shootings, it, all these signs come out that they were signs. They were identifying signs that uh, these kids were displaying, but uh, they went un either unnoticed or unaddressed. Un, uh, right. So, I mean, what can we... I know this is a broad question and, and something that probably will take a lot of <laughs> talking heads to try to figure out, but what can we kind of do? Or, or should we be listening more to or watching for those signs and, and, and taking some action before this happens? Because it always comes out that the signs were there. Right. I, I think that um, although we do have... Uh, clear documented history of school shootings all throughout this nation um, it is far less pervasive than we think um, it just happens to receive um, significant media attention when it does right. occur um, there's school children all over this country um, headed to school this morning and schools continue to be the safest place for children to be during the during the day right and um, so these situations are really really rare but people um, internalize that they are, um, that children may be at significant risk because of a school shooting that we may hear in another place. Now, it is a problem, so we should not ignore, um, because one life lost is one life too many, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, now, we do have instances of violent and aggressive behavior in school, but this being Mental Health Month, one thing that we um, are noticing, and one of the, one of the things that I encourage is that schools begin to develop appropriate school-based mental health counseling programs because children spend the bulk of their awake hours except for home in a school setting six seven hours a day in a school setting so um, people who know children best other than their parents would be the teachers and people they encounter in the school during the day so oftentimes we are um, some of the first people to recognize behaviors that would suggest that a child is at risk. Um, but there needs to be more training for teachers and um, school administrators um, or anyone that has contact with the child in the school setting during the day. So traditionally, we, we've always thought of schools as a place that you go primarily for um, 
academic instruction. You want to learn how to read, write, do math. Um, but times have really changed. And many, many years ago, um, that could have been just about what um, most children would need to be successful. But we understand that a lot of our children um, bring to school whatever their life experience has been. A lot of our students are traumatized, abused, neglected, to more or less a degree in some home settings. Um, some children come from very good homes where they have a very good um, support system and they thrive and they do well. But typically in urban school environments and in our um, political culture and climate, ur urban is just a cold word for black, minority, poor, inner city. So in those school environments, inherent in that um, lifestyle and that culture is is a tremendous amount of stress. Yes, um, and, they, and they bring that they bring those experiences to school. And um, if we don't have the supports in place to help them cope with overcome um, those um, issues that they bring to school, they only get worse. They put themselves at greater risk, and they put others at greater risk. So if schools continue to merely focus on reading and writing the math but not um, address the mental health needs of children, then the school becomes a far less safe environment for everybody. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and you advocate a lot on Facebook about how important it is for the parents to be the first teachers and, and for a lot of that to start at home. And, and, and maybe that's, that's, a, that's a big, well, not maybe, that is a big issue. And even though they spend a lot of time at the school, in the school system or during the day, but a lot of that quality time where you can really form and shape those minds are at home. Yeah. Well, your, your family really, um, the healthier your family and, and, and your family functioning, the better. I know people hate to want to put a label on what's healthy functioning, mm -hmm. but we can't um, develop supports if we don't have some definition of what a healthy functioning family looks like yeah. so when children come from supportive environments that creates a, a needed and a very powerful protective factor but not all children we know come from those environments so in the absence of that kind of support the school also has to be a resource um, we can't change every family that we would like to change but we can do things to support children who come to us coming from difficult circumstances and um, that's why programs in schools to address mental health um, are necessary. It's really, really necessary because the school shootings may not be as pervasive as we think, but the mental health needs of children and what puts them at risk is pervasive. So even if a child is not shooting up a school, they suffer from mental illness. Oftentimes, they um, end up maybe not completing school. They end up in the juvenile or adult justice system for reaching their full potential. Right, exactly, as a result of not um, ever having had their mental health needs met. Now, the interesting thing about the African-American community is that we still suffer from um, a stigma associated with mental health. Right. And um, some of the reasons why we look to suffer more um, has to do with um, disparities in health care. Um, just like we have disparities in medical care for families, where African Americans always have far worse outcomes as it relates to disease and illness, physical disease and illness, 
it also applies to mental health. And oftentimes in our community, because of the stigma, we don't talk about mental health. Um, and then what we do, we don't traditionally rely on professionals for the help that we need. In our culture, in our community, oftentimes it's been the pastor of a church, it's been friends of the family who try to help us navigate complex and compound, compound issues around mental health. The, the concern is that they don't have the training to do that. So people with severe or significant mental health concerns, they really don't get their needs met. So we don't want to discount um, pastors and other support systems, but it's not their area of expertise when it comes to the mental health issues. But to increase their awareness is helpful because then those people in the clergy can then lead those people in the congregation who need the help to the appropriate professional resources. And they're able to then recognize warning signs and those kinds of things. But to actually provide the care um, has not yielded positive results for our community because the persons providing that care just don't have the skills. Yeah, and you do have some pastors, uh, while they feel fulfill the spiritual or uh, religious mood, uh, uh, moods of uh, people, they do uh, also advocate going to check yourself out physically and mentally and, yep. and uh, not all pastors do that too. they think they can you know really uh, heal everything in the church and, and you know and, and sometimes like you said it's beyond their expertise and it could be something going on chemically uh, you know, a chemical imbalance with, with, with uh, a student or something like that oh, that, absolutely. that no one can detect without you know intensive uh studying of that person. Yeah. Yeah, and usually or evaluation. Yeah. Usually when people are experiencing uh, most people are born severely mentally ill. Um, a lot of people are most people are born healthy functioning people and through the course of their life experiences, again, the trauma, the abuse, the neglect, it creates um, uh, mental instability. A lot of times manifested in the form of depression, which can range from mild, moderate to severe. But a lot of times, um, you can have depression where the etiology of it is um, physical in origin, that is a chemical imbalance, and that a person could be depressed, and everything else on the surface in their lives looks like they, they have no reason for depression. But if it's physiological in nature, um, their life can look um, picture perfect, but they still seem to be depressed all the time and the appropriate treatment for that of course is first medication but also in combination with um, therapy that also helps but then there's another sort of depression where people are not necessarily experiencing a chemical imbalance but their life circumstances are overwhelming and stressful and that causes them to be depressed it's a little easier to fix that in this regard if you're depressed because you lost your job if we help you get a new job, yeah. we can help the depression decrease. But if the depression is physiological in origin, a new job, an old job, lots of friends, no friends, it doesn't make that big of a difference. Um, the environment can make it worse, but it's not the cause for the depression. So just like something like um, bipolar disorder, that's a, a, a chemical imbalance. You can treat it with medic medication. So the environment does not cause bipolar depression but the environment can make bipolar depression worse. And what people do often is that when you are able to stabilize people on medication, they begin to attribute that their stability is because of their own will and not because of the medication. 
So typically, sometimes people with bipolar, especially when they first become stabilized and they've, and they've suffered with the condition for years before they got appropriate treatment, once they become stabilized, they may stop taking the medication when they feel better. And then the condition um, worsens and they're back to a point of instability and you have to bring them back again. So part of that treatment would be to help them to understand why the medication is necessary. Even when they're feeling better, they still must take medication. And one of the big issues that we have with children and as it relates to suicide during um, this mental health month is that typically men are at greater risk for committing suicide and the behavior in which they engage to commit that to commit the act is more violent. Well, yeah, it's more violent. Um, they engage in more violent behavior. Um, and they complete the suicide act um, more often than just merely attempting it and not completing it. Um, African-American people traditionally have been thought to be at less risk for suicide. And we have, overall, when you look at the raw data, we are less likely to commit suicide, but we do commit suicide. So. That myth out there that we're not at risk for suicide can be hurtful because um, people ignore signs and they never suspect that someone will do it. So although our numbers are less, we still should be concerned about it because again, one life loss is one too many. And we do have an issue with suicide in our community, probably not as great. But the, as it relates to children, school-aged children, those at higher risk as it relates to um, African-American children are in the age range of 5 to 12. They're twice as likely to commit suicide than their white counterparts in that same age range. You know, I, I read that, and, and that was kind of alarming, and, and trying to figure out the reason why. And going back to what you said, the stigma of uh, mental health in our uh, communities, and you just mentioned it about suicide, one of the things you used to always hear, I used to always hear in the neighborhood that black people don't commit suicide because we've gone through so much that we're beyond that. I mean, you know, we value life more. And then when it does happen, it's kept quiet. You know, it's not a thing that uh, your family, that family is going to let other people know that that's what happened. Right. You, know, you might be told, well, he had cancer or something like that or he, you know, suddenly got something and died, but they're not going to mention that he had suicide, which which would give the uh, community pause and think about, wow, this is something that, that that needs to be addressed. And going back to the to the school system, and you just mentioned that young age of, of kids committing suicide, is that from um, where where is that? I mean, what are the studies showing? Why why is that changing? Why is that? I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's changing. It hadn't always been that way. Because we look at, uh, well, maybe it's more reported that younger white kids commit suicide. When they do it, it's reported like that. Well, there are two age groups, 5 to 12. Mm -hmm. African-American children are twice as likely to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. However, ages 13 to 17, um, white children are 50% more likely to commit suicide. But it's, it's for many different reasons. First of all, with the age group of 5 to 12, this suicide is thought to typically be an impulsive behavior. Um, more, um, less, more impulsive and not necessarily planned out over a long period of time, that sort of thing. It's more impulsive. A lot of times those children um, 
who may suffer from conditions like ADHD, which is an impulsive um, behavioral condition. And they don't all, and, and at that age group, that young, that young age group, they don't necessarily view death in the same way. Sometimes they don't see death as, um, they don't understand the permanency of, the, of death, that when you die, you don't come back. Um, whereas with children who are maybe 13 to 17, where white children typically commit suicide at a greater rate, a lot of times that's asso associated with um, breakups and relationships um, um, and, and those sorts of things. So there is a disparity with that young age group. But then again, 5 to 12, it's very rare that a child would commit suicide at that age, but they do. So when we hear about these unusual stories of someone who was 10 years old and killed himself, it's alarming because nobody can, can wrap their mind around somebody that young being that um, overwhelmed, depressed, etc., that they will commit suicide. But again, the behavior a lot of times is impulsive. They don't necessarily recognize that it's a permanency to death that you don't come back from death. And if it's impulsive like that, it's kind of hard for the parents to recognize any kind of uh, abnormality in their behavior. And that is true. If it's if it's impulsive, you might not. But there are warning signs as it relates to, to suicide, generally, that most people should be aware of. I mean, we almost should have some sort of training for people in the same way that we have CPR training. Mm -hmm. You know, you get a job, everybody has to be CPR trained. Everybody has to have certain training just in case something happens with a colleague, co-worker, customer, friend, we'll know what to do. But with suicide, we don't necessarily do the best job of communicating to people what the world